1: America's in the middle of a housing crisis, and Illinois is not immune. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. No state in the country has enough affordable housing for the families most in need. And while inflation and rental price increases have slowed somewhat this year, households at or below the poverty line still face big barriers to finding a home. The National Low Income Housing Coalition has a new report out on that. So let's learn more about the affordable housing landscape in Illinois and how families are faring in our state. Let's check in with Bob Palmer, Policy Director of Housing Action Illinois. Bob, give us a sense of what the nation's affordable housing shortage looks like.
2: Well, there's many million unit shortage of affordable housing around the country um, in Illinois, in this report, the GAF that we just recently co-released with the National Low Income Housing uh, Coalition, uh, the numbers actually reflect a really long-standing, persistent uh, shortage that particularly impacts those extremely low-income renter Households. So we're talking about in the Chicago area, a family of four that earns about $31,000 a year or less, or a single individual that earns about $22,000 a year or less. And for every 100 uh, renter households at that income level, there's only 34 uh, apartments that are available and affordable Uh, to them. Uh, So that results in another finding in the report that for those extremely low-income renters who are uh, paying for housing, about three-quarters of them are paying more than 50% of their income in housing, which obviously means they don't have much uh, left over after they pay the rent for the other costs of daily living.
1: Yeah, some additional context there. In Illinois, there are nearly 444,000 extremely low-income renter households, but only 150,000 affordable rental homes available to them. And, and Bob, when we say extremely low-income households, who does that include?
2: Well, again, it's a family of four that earns about $31,000 a year or a single individual that earns about $22,000 a year. And obviously many people who are extremely low-income earn far less um, uh, than that. And uh, it's roughly equivalent to the poverty line, but, you know, it's a different uh, definition that the federal government has. But it, it's roughly equivalent to the poverty level.
1: And and so that we fully understand, Bob, I mean, what does this mean for families who are struggling to pay rent and just trying to make ends meet?
2: Well, the lack of affordable rental housing is really the primary reason why we have homelessness in our uh, society, just because there aren't affordable places for people uh, to live, and that includes, you know, seniors who are only income is from Social Security, people on uh, disabilities who's maybe only is from uh, SSI, uh, families with uh, young uh, children, you know, part-time uh, workers, people working in the, you know, in the gig economy, you know, many people um, in this extremely low-income category are actually. Uh, employed and earning income, but they just can't afford a place to live. So they wind up, you know, couch surfing and it makes for a very, uh, you know, unstable, uh, stressful uh, way to live. And again, you're living paycheck to paycheck or month to month. Yeah. And you don't, ha- if you have, uh, you know, any type of decrease in your earnings or an increase in your rent or a healthcare emergency, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to wind up uh being homeless, which is going to just exacerbate whatever personal challenges uh, people might be having in their lives.
1: Let's bring another voice into the conversation. On the line with us now is Amanda Henley. She's a mother of two who lives on Chicago's west side. Hey, Amanda, welcome to The Reset.
3: Good morning. How are you?
1: Doing well. Thank you for joining us. So uh, you've had to move your family several times because you couldn't afford your rent. Can you tell us some more about your experience with just this lack of affordable housing?
3: Yes, um, I can remember struggling, trying to pay for a studio apartment, working two part-time jobs. I wasn't able to pay that rent, so oh. I had to give up my apartment in order to not face an eviction because with an eviction on your background here, it's it, it nearly impossible to rent. Um, yeah.
1: And so when when you can't afford a studio and you say you have to give up your place, what's your option? Where do you go? My,
3: um, to a friend's house. Um, if a friend isn't available, if I don't have family available, that might be a car, a bus stop, because if you're not at a local shelter at a time, you just got to get in where you can fit in, wherever, wherever that might be, mm-hmm. just so you can have a place to sleep safely with, with, your child, with your child or children.
1: What's going through your mind in those moments, Amanda, where you, you feel as though your back is against the wall and you've got to make these really difficult decisions
3: um what really goes through my mind is i get that um in the jungle like mentality because i have to figure out what's my next move i've a i don't have time to sit down and think about what's going to go on i have to do what i need to do right then and there so whether that um maybe telling a friend hey can i just stay here for the night and that night turns into three nights you know it's, it's difficult or you have to worry about why the ch- my child is saying hey mom why we're not at home in our house you know mm-hmm. um it it creates in in um inconsistency 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 and no stability for the child
1: yeah tell me more about your your kids how are they handling the moves
3: um they they in the beginning they love it but then they question is this is going to be is this how long are we going to be here? Mm-hmm. Um, I just previously moved at the end of last year due to the fact that um, the landlord sent out a note saying due to inflation, they have to have a hike up on my rent. There's mm-hmm. no way I could afford that, even with a housing voucher. Mm.
1: I imagine that also leads to you making other tough decisions when it comes to, to spending and managing your finances. How do you navigate all of it?
3: Um First, I used to try to rob Peter to pay Paul, but because the funds are so low, um, I'll try to um, – I have to decide whether I'm going to buy a bus car to get to work or am, or am I going to have to use this bus card to get to the doctor. So maybe I only have three one days, so I have to pick and choose what what's more important, my health or getting to a friend's house just so I can spend the night or getting to that shelter before clothing time.
1: What's your housing situation right now, Amanda?
3: Um, I just moved into a new um, apartment. But the fear of because the neighborhood is up and coming and changing, is the rent going to go up? Am I going to be able to call this home? Will my, are my kids, you know, are they comfortable, you know? Yeah. Do they sleep well knowing that, hey, this is our home, how long are we going to be here? Or are they thinking, hey, is this another temporary living situation, even though the home is ours yeah. at that time.
1: What do you want people listening to know about how the lack of affordable housing in, in Chicago and across Illinois, how it affects families like yours?
3: It dry, I want people to know that it drives families such as mine out of the community that they're so deeply rooted into. Um, I think it, it isn't fair for um People to charge three times the amount of an income to a low income class family. Uh, I think they should know that it's difficult to be driven out of your community and still have to travel to and from that community, whether it's to work, take your children to school, a doctor's appointment. I just want um, people to know that having a resource to go to can prevent all of this, you know, because there's no, no funds. They tell us to call 311 there's no help there and so it sends me somewhere to i really don't want to be or where my family might not be wanted.
0: Yeah. What
1: solutions do you want to see? Maybe from the city, uh, from the
3: state. More help more help um i want them to actually understand that it is nearly impossible for someone such as myself who barely makes minimum wage to pay Five times my income for an affordable place to live. Whether I I shouldn't have to um, settle for a um, what is it? A studio apartment with four or five children because that's not enough space. You know, it, it isn't sufficient housing.
1: Our thanks to Amanda Henley. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, Congrats on the new apartment, Amanda, and and best of luck to you and the family.
4: Thank you so much.
1: Still with us, Bob Palmer of Housing Action Illinois. Bob, what comes to your mind after listening to Amanda's story?
2: Well, unfortunately, Amanda's story is so very uh, common because of just the lack of affordable units and the uh, lack of rental assistance and you know really just struggling to uh, get by. Obviously, we consider housing as a human right. It's a basic uh, human need. You can't be uh, successful, or it's extremely challenging to be uh, successful in other parts of life, in school, uh, employment. Uh, you know your your physical and mental health. If you don't have stable, affordable housing, and many of us essentially take it for granted because we're, you know, we're well-served by the private market or adequately served. But for people with the lowest incomes, they just really have a lack of options and aren't well-served by the private market.
1: Now, Bob, we've talked about the economic burdens that the the lack of affordable housing puts on families. What other consequences are there?
2: Uh, Well, again, physical, uh, And mental health impacts, it's, you know, hugely stressful if you don't know where you're going to live. It's hard to find a job, hard to maintain employment uh, if you're uncertain where you're going to be sleeping uh, from night to night, particularly for uh, families who are homeless or have housing insecurity who are trying to make sure their kids are getting to school every day and doing well in school and, and focused on their uh, you know, doing their homework and, you know, making plans for the future. It's just incredibly hard yeah. uh, to do if, you're, if your housing isn't stable.
1: Well, speaking of health impacts, Bob, I want to turn now to Dr. Nancy Heil. She's the chair of the Housing Committee at the Illinois Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Hi, doctor. Thanks Hi. for joining us in studio.
5: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: So you've been listening along to this this conversation. The issue as is, as we know, it, it's led to uh, this growing number of people across the state just stuck in substandard housing, right? They're also dealing with environmental hazards, things that would cause triggers like asthma and lead poisoning, other health impacts. How serious can this get?
5: I want to go all the way back to pregnancy, where we start seeing the effects, the health effects of housing insecurity affecting a baby before they're even born. Mm-hmm. We have now good studies that show that whether it's housing insecurity, evictions, or homelessness, we increase the rates of babies who are born at low birth weight, which is under 5 and a half pounds, and prematurity, so under 37 weeks. Mm. And all of those can have lifetime repercussions for a baby, We have a monitoring system from the Center for Disease Control called the Pregnancy Risk Assessment Mm -hmm. Monitoring System for the state. Um, Last numbers are from 2020. And they sample people who've had um, a baby within the last year and then extrapolate from that what they estimate the population of Illinois is experiencing. But um, in 2020, the estimate was that there were over 5,000 Women who had given birth, who had experienced homelessness, and a little under nineteen thousand who were experiencing housing um insecurity mm-hmm.
1: so so you're able to put the two together
5: yes, yes, and wow. there the thing that is a little grayer is um the effect of stress, so the effect of stress beyond low birth weight and prematurity is um similar to what happens to women who are pregnant during war or during a natural disaster or during famine, that constant stress can yeah. signal to the baby in the womb, not all babies, but mm-hmm. some babies, that the world is very dangerous and they need to have a heightened response to stress after they're born. And that's called epigenetic change. And it potentially can last a lifetime. So oh. we're, we're really setting babies up to have problems. Can
1: can that heightened stress even you know force a mother into early labor?
5: Yes. So women um, who are experiencing housing insecurity, evictions, or homelessness have problems with premature labor and also hemorrhaging. So they have those complications. Wow.
1: And you know I imagine many folks are putting off much needed doctor's visits. We heard from Amanda earlier who talked about having to make the choice between using her bus card for, you know, buying food or going to the doctor just because they can't afford it.
5: Absolutely. The transportation to get medical care is a problem. Um, And just the, again, if you think about the stress of how am I going to feed my children? What's our shelter tonight? You know, do I pay my utility bills? What do I do? Getting to the doctor is pretty low on your list of priorities.
1: Though you could be really sick.
5: That is just So true. it should be higher on your priorities.
1: Correct. Right. What support, in your professional opinion, do families need here?
5: Well, as Bob said, we need more affordable housing. People need to earn a livable wage. If you do the calculations on the minimum wage, you know, it barely... Gets you what you need. Um, people need to earn a livable wage. We need quality childcare for parents who are working with a in that low income range, and you know we need to be able to help them get into early childhood programs, which can be protective for children oh, as well.
1: Yeah,
5: I do like to go back to 2021 when. We had um, an expansion of both the food benefit SNAP. Right, and our
1: second COVID year. Yes, yeah. and
5: increased the child tax credit, and people got monthly payments. During 2021, um, childhood poverty was reduced by
1: 46%, of course. So it started to look a little better.
5: Better. All ended by the end of 2021. You know, we're back to where we are, and various benefits are now tapering off, including, you know, continued enrollment and the Medicaid benefits. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things that need to change to be protective of families and children.
1: So, what should families do if they are currently in a situation without access to secure housing?
5: Yeah, it, you know, again, there's not enough resources, but as of January of this year, they can call 211 to find out what resources are available to them, you know, who can help them navigate the systems that, you know, might be of help to them. You can also text your area code to 898211, um, and that will connect you to the 211 system. As a physician, I'd have to say, you know, please talk to your physician about resources. So FQHCs, so federally qualified health centers and major medical centers tend to have social workers that can connect to a a family or a patient and give them help. Um, A number of public libraries, both in the suburban and metro system, now have Um, people who will connect you to social
1: services. So I would do all of those things. Yeah, that's great advice. Dr. Nancy Heil, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So far, we've talked about what the affordable housing situation looks like in Illinois. We got a clearer picture of the economic burden and how a lack of affordable housing can put a family's health at risk. Let's turn now to solutions. Bob Palmer of Housing Action Illinois is still with us, and we're also joined by Guacolda Reyes, Chief Real Estate Development Officer at the Resurrection Project. That's an organization based in Pilsen that works to create affordable housing. Bob, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the causes of this large gap in affordable housing. Can you just remind us what's driving this shortage?
2: Well, basically, uh, it's, a, it's a number of factors. One is is that it just costs money to provide Uh, affordable housing to build the buildings, to operate uh, apartments, pay the property taxes, pay the utilities, and so forth. And when you consider those costs and then what people with the lowest incomes can afford in rent, there's a gap there. And so that's why in the private market there isn't uh, very many units that are affordable to extremely low-income households, which is why we need... Uh, public funding from the federal government, state government, and local government yeah. uh, to make sure everyone has affordable housing.
1: The report uh, we discussed it shows that the burden of the affordable housing shortage it's falling mostly on Black, Latino, and Indigenous families. Tell us a bit more about that, Bob.
2: Well, like in all other measures of inequality in our society, it's primarily Black and Brown households that uh, suffer. And it's very much the same, particularly when you look at who experiences homelessness in Illinois. We did an analysis of federal data uh, a couple years ago, and it found that in Illinois, you're more than eight times likely to be homeless if you're black uh, compared to if you're white. And that just is also reflected in the shortage of affordable housing, those same types of inequality.
1: Wakolda, you have worked to to bring more affordable housing to Pilsen for more than two decades. Talk about the need that you are seeing over the years.
4: Yes, of course. Um, I think thirty. Uh, I work with the Resurrection Project, as you mentioned, and thirty-two years ago when we started it, the issue was the quality of the affordable housing. There was plenty of affordable housing in Pilsen thirty-two years ago, but it was the the quality was deplorable. We have absentee landlords. Uh, Today, uh, 32 years later, we still are fighting to produce more affordable rental housing because the issue is not the quality of the housing, but the cost of the housing. Mm -hmm. For example, a family in Pilsen that wants to rent a two-bedroom apartment in the market right now with the current rent levels that we have in the Pilsen community, they need to spend around $1,600 a month to be able to do that. Wow. Who can afford that? that families means- that have an annual income, as Bob said, men- mentioned earlier, 30% AMI, an annual income here of around $62,000, does mm-hmm. not represent the salaries of the the incomes of the hardworking fa- families of Pilsen. So yeah. clearly that, in reality, explains to you this gap that Bob is mentioning. TRP, we just opened... Casa Durango, which are two buildings, new construction, rental affordable ha- housing, 100% affordable, on Racine and on Ashland Avenue. And for 53 apartments in total, we got over a thousand requests for apartments in our online application. Wow. Over a thousand for 53 apartments. Is that not explaining the crisis that we have in front of us? It, I really don't know what it is. Yeah. So, a one, a, a two-bedroom in one of those apartments, brand new apartment, is going to cost a little over a thousand dollars because it's at fifty percent AMI. But in the market, like I said early, you cannot find mm-hmm. a decent, safe, affordable, high-quality apartment mm-hmm. for less than seventeen hundred. So, truly we are losing families in Pilsen. We are going through a strong wave of gentrification uh, because we continue to lose our working families. Uh-huh. Uh, as the doctor mentioned earlier, this has all kinds of implications, in particular for right. children. And our apartments are primarily two bedrooms and three bedrooms because we, we, we are housing families, hardworking families of our community. So. This is a serious, serious yeah, crisis. Displacement,
1: that- disinvestment. I mean, as yep. you mentioned, the quality and the cost are, are major issues here. Bob, where else in Illinois are we seeing families being pushed out, like like what Gwakolda is describing?
2: Well, there's different things going on. There's displacement going on in many uh, communities. That tends to happen in, you know, more fluent or gentrifying communities. But really everywhere, even in communities where there's a high number of people in poverty, Um, There is a shortage of affordable rental housing, and particularly in Chicago's uh, suburbs, not just in the city, there really is a huge shortage of affordable rental housing mixed with increasing rents. Mm.
1: Gwakolda, you've helped develop more than 500 affordable units in Pilsen alone. Uh, The waiting list, though, for those two new buildings, it's got more than 1,000 people. Is that right?
4: That is correct. Mm. We've got more than a thousand individuals that apply online for our housing. And so we are going through the process right now. But I think Bob has a, a, a point that needs to be, I can share from my experience. I think that it is true. I mean, there are communities that are severely disinvested. So the quality of the housing is deplorable, like I said, which is what the reality of Pilsen 30 something years ago. But then there are other communities like Pilsen today where gentrification is happening, where the issue of the lack of affordable housing is not the quality but the pricing, the cost, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because now this community is offering beautiful apartments but are completely inaccessible to the hardworking families of our communities. Like like we have, we have the CPS schools in Pilsen, including our high school and all the elementary schools, they have lost – since 2015, 42 percent of enrollment. Yeah. If that is not telling us something, I don't know what else needs to happen. But truly, the population is being pushed out, um, and and this is something that, as everybody has mentioned before, has has drastic consequences for the families and for the communities, for the economy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well. Uh- Bob, state lawmakers, uh, they're meeting in Springfield right now. You're there, too. What are your priorities for the 2023 Illinois General Assembly session?
2: Well, one, uh, we are very pleased that uh, Governor Pritzker uh, took on many of our recommendations and really did, uh, is proposing to really increase funding to prevent and end homelessness in the state budget, including more money uh, for homeless prevention to assist families who are behind on their rent, more money for supportive housing, which is housing with services uh, mixed in that supports people with, for example, serious mental health uh, issues or other types of disabilities, um, and also While we still do have homelessness, we need more money for emergency shelters. So all of those are included in Governor Pritzker's budget proposal that we hope the General Assembly will support. There's also a variety of pieces of legislation Mm -hmm. that we're advocating for that do everything from encouraging more uh, suburbs with very low amounts of affordable housing to create affordable housing plans. We have been trying to pass legislation to help people get their eviction records. Uh, But like a lot of bills that we advocate for, there is opposition uh, from the real estate uh, industry. And so it's hard to make progress on a lot of these issues because, unfortunately, not everyone shares it as a high uh, priority, even among members of the General Assembly. Although we do have many champions and we're very thankful for their support. Yeah.
1: Well, what help would you like to see from from the federal government? Uh, I'll ask you both this. You can go first, Bob.
2: Well, we are very pleased again that President Biden and his budget proposal is providing more money for programs like the Housing Choice Voucher uh, program and expanding the federal low-income housing tax credit to uh, build more housing that uh, of the type that Wakolder was talking about. But we are particularly concerned uh, with the Republicans taking control of the House of Representatives that they are proposing significant uh, budget cuts. And for example, if we had a reduction. In the number of housing choice vouchers and people lose their vouchers, then that's going to result in more uh, homelessness, which obviously would be a disaster for those families. But the cost of homelessness is something uh, that we would all experience.
1: What about you, Wakolda? What would you like to see from the federal government?
4: I, I, I completely agree with what Bob mentioned at the federal level. However, I, I want to take this chance to say something about the state. I think also uh, we are pushing forward with uh, what is called the Build Home uh, Estate Tax Credit uh, because we do believe that, as Bob mentioned, low-income housing tax credit is the financing tool that allows us to do affordable rental housing. And at the state level, we are missing an opportunity because There are what is called the 4% credits that are not completely utilized because there is a financing gap. So what we are proposing with this bill, which is SB 1737 and HB 2044, is to create our own version, a state version, of Mm -hmm. low-income housing tax credit that will allow us to close the gap and, therefore, to produce more affordable uh, rental housing throughout the state of Illinois.
1: We've been speaking with Bob Palmer of Housing Action Illinois and Guacolda Reyes with the Resurrection Project. Thank you both for your time. Thank,
2: thank you. you for having us.
1: Let's hear from one more voice on the issue. Joining us now from Springfield is Illinois State Representative Will Gazardi of the 39th District. Hi, Representative.
6: Hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: Thanks for, for taking the time. How are you and other legislators trying to tackle these issues?
6: Well, I think we heard about a lot of the really important solutions from your previous guests. Um, So, I chair the Housing Committee here in the legislature, and we've had hearings over the last couple of years about the very problems you've been discussing. And, um, you know, one step that we've taken up now has been to dedicate a considerable amount hundreds of millions of dollars of our federal COVID relief funds toward the construction of new affordable housing. Um, Because, in addition to all the challenges, that you've already heard about, uh, with the onset of COVID, all kinds of input costs for new construction got a lot higher. So projects that already had all the requisite financing in place all of a sudden saw materials costs go up by 30% with all the supply chain issues that happened during COVID. So they weren't able to complete the project with their existing funding. And then there were new projects that wanted to come online that couldn't quite get there financially either. So we've set aside hundreds of millions of dollars for the COVID-19 Affordable Housing Grant Program. Mm-hmm. Which the Illinois Housing Development Authority is getting out the door to developers to close those gaps and get these deals done. And we've produced thousands of new units already through that program. Um, so you know we're, we're looking seriously at this and hoping to continue to increase those funding streams.
1: And you've, you've been listening in to uh, my, my conversation with the earlier guests. What's your response to to their push for a low-income housing tax credit?
6: It's absolutely vital, and it's one of my and one of the Illinois House Progressive Caucus's top legislative priorities in this year's budget. Um, We need a state-level tax credit to supplement the federal tax credit. It will just enable us to drop down more federal dollars, more private sector investment. It's going to be an absolutely vital tool in closing this enormous gap that we've been discussing today and the number of affordable units in our state.
1: Do you think combating the affordable housing crisis and, and ending homelessness, are they being prioritized enough in Illinois?
6: I think we're turning a corner. Um, I think for far too long, this has been a silent crisis in our state. Um and there are folks like me, I represent a community on the northwest side that have been facing really on the on the bleeding edge of gentrification and displacement for the last decade or so. So some of us have experienced it firsthand in our communities that have been aware of these issues. Uh-huh. But I think in the last several years, the challenges around housing affordability have exploded and have, have made themselves visible in every community in the state. And so this silent crisis has become one that we're finally talking about. And uh, as Bob said, the, the governor... Uh, we made this a priority of his in his uh, budget and state of the state address earlier this year uh, and, and put dollars behind in their budget proposal, which I'm very excited about. So I'm really I feel optimistic that the state is really beginning to, to take seriously the scope of this challenge.
1: What more do you think the Pritzker administration could do?
6: Well, um, I really hope that we can uh, earn the administration's support on this proposal for the state low-income housing tax credit. That's a vital piece, and I look forward to continuing the conversations with leaders of the administration. But I think that simply naming this crisis and, and committing to addressing it, you know, the, the administration created a new office to prevent homelessness through executive order and appointed a state homelessness chief. Uh, Christine Haley, who's been wonderful to work with and a real champion on this, who's involved in interagency coordination across all these different state departments to really come up with a game plan to actually end homelessness in Illinois. So I think the fact that we're saying out loud that we're going to end homelessness in the state and this is how we're going to do it, Mm -hmm. that's a really vital step forward.
1: We'll leave it there. That's Illinois State Representative Will Gazzardi of the 39th District. Thank you so much. This episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Stephanie Kim and edited by Dan Tucker. If you're looking for a venue to get caught up on all the local news in one place, check out our weekly news recap. Check back here every Friday to hear top local journalists explain the stories behind the week's biggest headlines. See you there.